Hi, everyone. Welcome to Hey Hey Agave. Today, we are joined by Lorena Terran Ibarra. She is the director of Copita Field for El Buo Mezcal, where she leads their regenerative agriculture and educational programs. Hello, Lore. Welcome. Hello. Uh, thank you for having me here. Uh, I am really excited about this conversation. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, it's so good to have you. Um, I'd like to just start off with a question, and that is, what made you fall in love with agave, the plant themselves, um, you know, the environment in which they're grown? Like, like how did you how did you come to love these plants? Uh, uh, I don't know. It's it's a really it's a really long story, and it haven't ended yet. I am still falling in love with them every day. That's what love is about, right? Uh, I think the first, my first approach was on my first visit to Oaxaca, like 12 years ago. Maybe I came and I just wanted to learn a little bit about mezcal. I was in the wine industry and I wanted to learn about mezcal and other Mexican distillates. So I came and, and I took some. Uh, road trips to Palenques and Agave Fields and I was mesmerized by the the beauty of the plants and also about how many differences you can get like in flavors and in aromas made making mezcal from different agaves um, then just looking at them and learning about their their life their their growth. It was so interesting and, and so new to me. So I wanted to learn more and more and more. And then I decided to move to Oaxaca and and I knew that it was going to be like not a six-month thing learning a little bit about mezcal. It, it was going to be a long journey. Also, uh, I am really interested in how how the relationship between the humankind and agave has been a really important thing since the prehistorical times in this Mesoamerica region. Humans in this area have been using agave for so many different things. Uh, agave has been a part of our culture since the beginning, like the since the first humans inhabited these lands, they were using agaves for shelter, for food, for drinks, for tools, uh, using the fibers uh, for for knitting nets, or or sewing, or clothing, shoes using the spines as as needles. They were using agaves for so many things. And this has been evolving. Like most of these uses are lost. And right now we are using agaves only for mezcal, uh, pulque. And in some places you can still find the cooked agave as food. Uh, some people are still using the fibers there are a lot of initiatives for using the fibers of the pencas again and that's really exciting i i would like to do some of that so it's not only the the beauty of the plants it's not only the deliciousness of the drinks that we can make it's also a cultural thing uh, and it's very very important historically yeah. Um, you know, a while ago I was watching a YouTube video of how they would strip the leaves of the fibers and then wind them into rope. Um, everything done by hand using these really cool systems. Um, maybe I'll link to that on the website. Actually, it's it's one of those lost art forms. Um, have you ever seen that done? Uh, yeah, in it's, person. It's beautiful. Like I know that Anakin is like one of the agaves that is used for fibers, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, because yeah. it doesn't have uh, a lot of sugars. The the agaves in the Yucatan Peninsula doesn't have a lot of sugars. It only have fibers and waters. It's a really humid place, and is it's low in altitude. So I think it's also a good idea for for myself just to remember and for listeners possibly who, who've never been to um, this region in Oaxaca where Copita Field is located. Can can we talk a little bit about what it looks like? Um, you know, what what the how how are the mountains located? You know, is there a valley? Where are you guys positioned? And then and then also if we could talk about the difference between the rainy and the dry season, because they're so extreme. Um, so we can begin wherever you like. Yeah. Um, Ocopita Field is located uh, east. It's like a 45 minutes drive east from Oaxaca City. It's in the Tlacolula Valley towards Villa Diaz Ordaz. The climate and, and the ecosystem looks more or less like like all the central valleys of Oaxaca. We have the Sierra Norte and the Sierra Sur surrounding these valleys. And, and the vegetation, like the original natural vegetation, like the native matorral xerophilo, I have no idea how to say that in English, but uh, it has a lot of cactus and succulent plants. Here in Copita Field, we have rain. Usually starts raining uh, around June. This year, it's starting raining early. Like it, it's already raining a little bit. And and we have the rainy season until. September, sometimes October a little bit too. In the rainy season, everything is is green. It's so green, like phosphorescent. It's luscious and beautiful and full of life. Then in the dry season, it gets really dry. <laughs> it gets so dry. So it changes like the view and everything changes. Everything feels different. Everything smells different. It's like another place. If you come in, in September and then you come again like in February or March, it's going to be so different. And we have different, like our work is different in each season. Right now we are planting because we want to have all the agaves and trees planted for them to get the water before it gets dry again. Um, we also want to make the most out of the water that we have. Uh, we have a little well uh, that pumps water to to a tank with a solar panel uh, thing that we have there for energy because there's no electricity. Like the the public system is not there. So... What we do is uh, to try and and bring the water back because the, these valleys have been getting drier and drier every year. Even even though the the average of the rain in these valleys is around five hundred millimeters every year. Uh, that doesn't say a lot about reality. Reality changes every year. Every year is so different. Some years we can have less than 250 millimeters of water. And the next year we can have a thousand or maybe more. Every year is really different. The seasons are changing constantly. And most of the agricultural practices depend on the rainy season. There's not a lot of people, especially the small producers doesn't have irrigation systems and they don't have um, a lot of 
sources of income. So basically their life depends on what happens during the rainy season. And if they have a well and the well has water, well, they, they can manage. But the, all the wells in the area have been uh, drying out. The, the water level has been going down every year. And even after a year of really hard rainy season, like last year we had a lot of rain, and the wells are not recovering like the the water uh, level is not coming back up it's still going down so this issue with um with the rainfall and and the wells uh not being able to collect enough and hold enough rainwater um this is like a a systemic issue in in the area um and is that just because like there's there's no more forest anymore because it's been removed for planting agave and crops? Like, what's going on uh, with that? Yes, uh, the walls the walls are drying uh, because there is no more water on the underneath water systems. This The level of water in the systems has been going down and it is a systemic problem because we are cutting all the trees down. We, we don't have trees in the valley anymore. Uh, all the trees have been cut down to plant agave and other monocrop agriculture practices. Uh, and this is a big issue. I think it's going to, to have to be solved or uh, we need to do something about it because I don't think the solution is to to dig uh, deeper and deeper wells. It's not going to work that way. I think we need to do something different in order to make a difference in what's happening. And I think it's it's really a good time to talk about what what the Copita project is and what it entails because it it definitely um, is is about that concept of restorative agriculture where you're keeping your your ecosystem in, in kind of a balance. So um, how would you describe uh, the work that you're doing in Copita Field? The work that we are doing now in Copita Field includes a, a very holistic approach to agriculture. We don't want to to plant crops in order to have a product or a profit. We want to have a, a balanced ecosystem. We want to improve the quality of the soil. We want to have a very biodiverse field and we want to protect all the life that is there, we want to bring it back to life. Like the soil that was used for growing crops and it was sprayed with pesticides for years, I am trying to to bring it back to life. So the this approach of, of um, regenerating the soil and trying to rehab the land, um, this is because for many, many years and, and generations, the the land that you guys are on was farmed using um, like pesticides, like inorganic practices, right? Yeah. Um, the flat part of, of the Copita field was used to grow crops and it was sprayed with pesticides and it was uh, not, not, taken care of in a in a way that that make it fertile for in the long term so what we want is is to is to make it alive in the long term to to bring all the soil back to life and we have all these practices 
that I hope they will work in the long term. We, we want to have a really biodiverse field. We want to, all our practice are 100% organic. Um, we, we try not to do any harm to any of the species that live there. We try to preserve the balance. Uh, we try to take care of all the species that live there. And it is a really long-term project. We started with the Nagave nursery. And, and from there, we realized how the seeds we were getting depended on so many other factors. We, we just didn't know what was happening, like why the Kyotes are not making seeds in some parts. Um, like the pollinators are so important. All the animals are very important. All the insects are needed to be there in order to have seeds. So if we wanted to have a nursery where we grow agave from seed, we need to preserve all of this. And, and we need to have like a biodynamic strategies to to make sure that our agricultural practices are are friendly with all the animals and plants and fungi and bacteria that lives in the area we want all of them to be there in order to have a healthy field I have so many questions for you, um, and it's it's so fascinating as we get into um, what you guys have been experimenting with, um, some of your successes, some of some of the the failures and redirections. Let's talk about how you guys are approaching the planting of the angustifolia, um, which is a, a very common type of agave um, used to make espadine. Um, so you have two different parts of, I know, like the flat area of like the, the crop fields going, right? One of them has uh, angustifolia that you got from uh, Ijuelo and the other one has angustifolia that you planted from, from like seed, right? From the quiote producing the seeds. So um, why are those two approaches important um, for what you're trying to do? Yeah, well, what happened here is that the the founders of El Búho Mezcal got the land for planting agave and the first step was to plant agave they brought the huelos from from the maestro mezcalero uh, pepe's fields they brought a lot of espadini huelos and planted them in the in a flat area of copita field Ijuelos are very important. Ijuelos are like baby clones of of an agave. Each agave makes ijuelos every year. Well, most of them, some, some of them won't. But the espadines do. Espadines make a lot of ijuelos. So it's like preserving one genetic information in in place. Is the way of an agave for for staying in that area, and there's another way of having an agave grow. It's it's from seed that makes genetic like different genetic information. So um, when I started working in Copita Field, it was uh, three years ago. Uh, I decided I. I didn't want to have only huelos. So a few weeks ago, I, I planted in, in, in the area, the flat area that was left without espadini huelos. I planted 2000 angustifolia baby agaves, but grown from seed. It's actually a very uncommon thing to happen. Most of the people will plant 
angustifolia from hijuelos. I got these angustifolias from seed. Uh, I wanted to add genetic biodiversity into this area of the field. In order to get to know them, to to know what happens in, in the lifetime of an hijuelo of angustifolia and of uh, angustifolia grown from seed. We are making a lot of experiments here. It is really exciting. The All the knowledge that we are getting from doing this is great. And I think it's also great for the for the agave industry as well to have more knowledge and to have genetic diversity. Why don't we also talk a little bit about the CRM's requirements um, for replanting the wild agave? Because as we know, um, El Buo produces uh, different variety uh, expressions using different different varieties of agave. So um, this is something that is relatively new knowledge for me um, that the CRM is um, requiring the replantation of wild agaves used to make mezcal. Um, so what's going on there? Uh, yeah, the the CRM is the Consejo Regulador del Mezcal. Uh, it's the one that gives you certificates in order to be able to legally sell mezcal. So they not only make um, like chemical tests. What I don't know how to say that in English. The the biochemical. No, I think I think that's right. That, that mm-hmm. that's right. There there it's a chemical analysis. Yeah. Um, that that each batch of mezcal that you're going to sell has to go through if you are going to certify it as a mezcal. So exactly. Um, you know the CRM the does yeah. that to every batch, and now they also regulate uh, how many plants of agave did you use for making this batch of mezcal, and if it's a wild agave, you need to replant two plants for each one that you used. So every year, the mezcal producer gets uh, a requirement, like you used uh, this many agaves to make your mezcal, now you need to replant this quantity of each variety of wild agave. Uh, And I've been taking care of that. Um, We've been planting Tobalas, around 500 Tobalas this year, uh, a little bit more last year. And Tepestates, we also planted 300 Tepestates a few weeks ago in the wild area. We are not planting the wild agaves in, in, um, like in rows. We are not cleaning, like cutting native vegetation from the area in order to plant agave. We are just walking around the native uh, vegetation and making holes and replanting these agaves. These agaves have been grown in the nursery, but they they have been grown from seeds that I collected in those same mountains, in, in the same areas where I get the seeds, I replant the baby agaves. Um, it's kind of the the natural process that will happen, only that the difference is that we get a lot more agaves in, in this controlled or semi-cultivated uh, approach. If, if we just let a quiote spread the seeds naturally in the area, some of them will sprout some of them will get eaten or rotten and a lot of the sprouts are going to be food for the animals and and the ants the rabbits like all the all the animals that live there if they found a little sprout they are going to eat them so usually if you let a, a quiote sprout babies naturally you will get if you're lucky, a handful of agaves. And if we plant the seeds in a nursery and we take care of them and 
then we can have maybe 10,000 baby plants instead of just three or four. Uh, yeah, because these quiotes, they produce um, a lot of seeds. They produce right? like so we're talking many seeds. In, in, in the thousands, right? It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, they really, really want to reproduce and they know <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to live in these areas. So they make so many seeds. And if we if we collect the seeds and plant them in a nursery and then replant them in the wild, we are doing a, a huge impact. It, yeah. It's a huge yeah. change to have 10,000 plants instead of five. Right. And and not to say that like every single time you go out into the mountains and, and replant these little babies that you've you've grown in the nursery, they're not all going to survive, but they'll a, a, a much larger amount of them will because of this intervention that you guys have, have made. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I think it's a I think I'd like to ask you to describe the nursery a little bit because um, I know it's pretty big. Uh, and also, um, why don't we talk about what those first few months of, uh, of 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 trying to grow these little baby agaves like I know there were some learning curves that happened. So why don't we talk about what that experience was like for you? Yes, well, uh, the nursery, it's it's made of. Maya sombra that is like a, like this uh, net that prevents the place to be too sunny or too hot. Uh, it is ten meters wide and thirty meters long, and right now it has a lot of baby agaves on it. Uh, it has thousands of them. Some of them are very small. Some of them are sprouting in trays. And what we do there is, well, we when we get a quiote, we let the quiote dry inside the nursery. When it's possible, we let the, the quiote dry uh, like the whole plant. We take the quiote with the agave. It's very big and it's hard work. We take it to the nursery and we let it dry. When the capsules or the fruiting bodies of the of the agave are starting to dry, they crack open and they let the seeds out. We collect the seeds. We we kind of clean them just to make sure they don't have like insects eating them. And then we soak the seeds in water with a biology cocktail. I don't know how to call it, but we soak them in fungi mycorrhizals and some bacterias that will help them thrive. Then we plant them in trays and we let these trays uh, with lids and a very humid substrate. When they sprout, we take out the tray, the, the leads, I'm sorry, and they grow there sometimes for five months. Some species require longer in order to grow. Sometimes we leave them for a year in there. And then we trespass the, the baby agaves to the, to the soil inside the nursery. And then they grow a lot when we plant them on the soil. When they are like so, you have both you have both going on at the same time. Like you have like these tables where the the seeds are germinating and the little guys are growing, right? The seedlings, and then you have like a another plot of land inside the nursery that's in the ground. Yeah, um, I started doing this because the the first time I planted the seeds, I I did it in the soil, and they started sprouting. I was so happy. We had so many seeds sprouting and I was there taking care of them, watering them, admiring the little babies. And then I went home and the next morning I came back and the ants ate all of them. Uh, it was so sad. It was my first oh, time no. trying to grow seeds. Uh, 
and these things happen like we we were really sad like after crying for an hour uh, <laughs> I had to make a new plan like what am I going to do I cannot keep planting the seeds in the soil because this is going to happen every time when it's dry in this area and and these ants we call them arrieras if they find something that has food like water on it they will eat the whole thing in in two hours they are mm -hmm. impressive and since we are not killing anything we we are not going to get rid of the ants there's I didn't know like, how to fight the ants. I will. Um, so I started coming up with some strategies. First, I make these like stands, like table stands, and I bought all these trays. So I planted the the seeds in trays, like elevated in stands, and I put a small bucket of water with soap on each leg of the of the stand in order to prevent the ants from coming and get the, eat my agaves. And it's been working great. Uh, we have a lot of ants everywhere, especially in the dry season. They will eat everything. But the baby agaves are safe now. <laughs> um, so the water just deters them. So they, they sense the water is there and they're like, okay, I know that's sudden death if I walk in there. So <laughs> it's not like you come in the morning and there's like a thousand dead ants in the water or like what, what's what's no. the situation with the, the soapy water? I don't think they will get in soapy water. They know it is dangerous, like just from smelling it. Actually, the ants are really important for the ecosystem. The ants make the soil uh, get oxygen and get a lot of nutrients from the plants. The, the ants bring all these leaves inside their their nest and a fungi that lives there. That's what they eat, but it, they are also decomposing organic material into nutritious soil. The ants are a very important part of the environment as just as everything else. And we respect them. We are uh, not only keeping them out of our baby agaves, we are also feeding them now. Uh, I've been planting some some things that they like, uh, like Jamaica, it's the hibiscus flower mm -hmm. that we make, Agua de Jamaica. I discovered that they love Jamaica. So I plant a lot of Jamaica around the the nursery and they eat this Jamaica and they stay away from other plants because I also oh, that's planted. that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Can uh, you can you can you keep up with the demand? Like is there enough Jamaica planted that the ants are satisfied? No. <laughs> there are so many <laughs> ants. <laughs> I planted some citric trees. Uh, from seed, uh -huh. I have mandarins and lemons, oranges, and every time they finish the Jamaica, they eat all the leaves of my baby citrus trees. Uh, they eat so much. This is like just two times I was able to harvest like tree flowers of Jamaica and make myself some agua de Jamaica out of it. The ants are really hungry. <laughs> But that's kind of the negotiation, right? If 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 you're like ants, if you stay away from my agaves, then I'll do my best to give you things that you like. Yeah, I I, I try to feed them. Uh, also, other species, not only the ants, are are uh, living in our fields and eating plants. Also, we have rabbits, um, and we try to keep the rabbits in. They are not only really cute, they are also part of the environment and important species. We we have been planting milpa and these rabbits eat all my beans. Every year they have eaten all the beans. So uh, this guy presented me with a variety of beans that is called frijola bono. Uh, this mm -hmm. kind of bean grows like 
really large. It makes a lot of leaves. Uh, and it has a lot of nitrogen on it. So when when the rabbits eat these beans, they get like full very quickly. It makes them kind of gassy, I think. Uh, and it has so many leaves that they get full. Uh, so I am trying to plant the perimeter of the milpa area with these beans just to prevent them to getting inside and eating the rest of it. Can you explain um, what milpa, what the milpa system is, um, the crop rotation, how that how that works, and how you're using it uh, in the fields? Yeah, sure. Um, milpa is a, a system. It's a really ancient system where we plant uh, corn, we plant beans, and we plant squash or pumpkin uh, what happens is that the, um, the beans are really good for the soil they they help the soil to have a valuable nutrients and it takes nitrogen from the air and fixes it into the soil in order to be consumed by the by the corn plant in this case. And the calabaza or squash, it kind it has like roots that are white and kind of loosens a little bit the the soil when it's hard. And it also has big leaves that grow uh, we call planta rastrera that grows like um, along with with the it grows really long, but it doesn't grow up. Yeah, it stays low to the ground, but it the stays... leaves get very wide, right? Exactly. So they they help to keep the the soil a little bit in the shadow and to keep the humidity down to keep it fresh. Yeah. And the corn that grows taller, it is like um, like a support for the bean plant that needs like kind of a high or long stick, and the bean uh, grows up in the in the corn plant. It's like a support. So the corn for stalk, the- yeah, because the corn stalks get really really tall. Um, it depends on the like variety many, many. of the corn. The the corns uh-huh. that we plant at, are not that tall, but yeah, it works as a, a, a as a something that the that the bean won't have if we didn't plant it along with the corn. So the beans get planted directly next to the corn, and then do the squash get planted next to the bean? Yeah, we planted three of them at the same time just to make it easier or efficient we mix we make a really big uh mix of all the corn seeds the beans and the squash on the same and everyone that is planting has a a little bucket or a little bag of uh, this mixture of the tree seeds and we are walking planting uh just grabbing five seeds or five things in, in planting them it's kind of random but it gets it works yeah and what we do is we plant the milpa in between the agave rows when the agaves are small enough Uh, for planting agave you you need a lot of space because they are they get very big when they are mature so you need to plant them far away from each other and in the beginning, you have so much space left in between the agave rows. So it's an ancient practice to plant milpa in between these rows. So you can uh, you can use this land when you have agave also to make your food for the next year. Mm-hmm. 
and it's also good for the soil because the milpa is kind of um, a way of planting that keeps the soil uh, nutritious. It's not going to get all dry and and dead like in yeah. these fields where it's only agave and herbicides. This yeah. is way more uh, efficient in the long term, I guess. Not only for the soil, but also for the families that are growing agaves and corns. Yeah, uh, because like, you know, you you came into this project with the land um, needing a lot of restoration. Um, and so it doesn't just happen with one growth cycle, right? Like it's not like, oh, let me grow some milpa and uh, my soil's 100% now. So, um, so what are some of the other organic approaches that you're taking to help um, revitalize and rehabilitate the soil? Oh, yeah, of course not. It's not going to work like like that. It's not like milpa is magic. You just come and plant milpa and it works. <laughs> it, it takes right. so long. I, I've been trying to improve the situation for three years. Uh, first year, I tried to plant milpa just like that. And I got nothing. <laughs> nothing. Not a single core, not a single uh, bean. Nothing. Like everything got wow. eaten by animals or dry or I just didn't harvest anything. But I learned a lot and that's that's enough. That is is a great harvest, even if it's it's not a physical one. <laughs> the harvest of the knowledge, right? <laughs> exactly. So yeah. the next year I made twenty tons of compost. I was carrying organic organic waste from uh, dumps and juice bars and restaurants and manure from some cows and bulls, some people in, in the village that have cattle. And, and I go there and I carry all this manure back to the field and we compost it. Uh, we... We make it humid, we mix it, and we put enzymes that help decompose quicker. And we have been doing this uh, tons and tons of compost each year to... Uh, we we spread this compost around in, in the land. And it's been getting better. Uh, last year, we have... We harvest, it was a very small harvest, but we have now seeds that we are going to plant. We at least got some seeds grown in place in an organic way that we are planting right now uh, in a milpa. Uh, can I Is pause it... for one second? Because I want to I wanna ask you something. Um, yeah, sure. So, so you've been having, you know, it's been getting better and better every year with the milpa, but are the agaves just so resilient that even though the soil isn't optimal, they'll still, they'll still grow in that soil? Yes. Um, especially. That's amazing. It is amazing. I think the, the espadin, the, the angustifolia is, is so resilient it will survive almost anything you you can have a soil that is looks dead and the agaves will grow on it and the agaves can can last without water for so long they can live like in the sun with no water with no nutrients for a long time of course a lot of people um put fertilizer on them in order to make them grow quicker or to mature quicker for making mezcal sooner uh, but if you just let them they will survive they they are hardcore plants they are really really impressively resilient 
we had spoken a little bit about the wild agaves or the semi-cultivated agaves that you guys are taking care of and planting around the land, but that comes with its own set of issues. Um, and one of those are the, uh, what is it, the picudos de maguey. Um, I think that they're, they're weevils, actually. So it's a type of, is it like a beetle? Yeah, there are, there are these beetles that have like a little horn. They are black, and this is a, a an insect that lives in the area, and it's very, very common that some agave plantations get infected with them, and a lot of plants die because these these beetles will make like a hole and get inside the piña of the agave, and they lay eggs inside inside the the piña then when the larvae comes out of the eggs they will start eating uh, all this sugars and starch that the piña is made of and they will grow get out grow into adult uh, picudos and mate and make more and more and more um what happens a lot is if that you have just one one plant actually that it would you have a lot of plants but they are all genetically identic it it can grow very very quickly and it's a problem mm-hmm. uh so the spadines are kind of uh very are they vulnerable. susceptible to that? Yeah, yeah. they're very susceptible. Also, the wild agaves can get infected. All the agaves could get infected. And this is a huge problem in all agave projects. And there are some pesticides that kill them. There are some traps that you can use the pheromone plants to to trap them in buckets. Also, there is a bacteria that's called Bauberia bassiana. Uh, this bacteria actually eats the exoskeleton of these beetles. So we uh, spray our agaves since they are babies in the nursery until we plant them out in the field, in, in the wild. We mm-hmm. always, sometimes we soak them in a solution with these bacteria. Sometimes we just walk around the mountains with uh, with the sprayer backpack and we spray Mm -hmm. the agaves and and some other succulent plants and some cactuses and right because you're not just taking care of the agaves only you're taking care of all of the the all the native plants in the area right of course we we have seen that some of the um bisnagas i don't know if they have a name in english but they're beautiful cactus uh, some of them are like 200 years old and mm. they are getting infected with picudo as well. So we try to to keep the population of this um, escarabajo picudo in control. We don't want to kill all of them. Of course, if if they if they disappear, something will happen because they are also uh, a part of the environment. Sometimes it, it, we we just need to make sure we don't have too many of them because if we have so much agave spadin, maybe we are giving them uh, a lot of plants to grow, a, a lot of mm-hmm. food and a lot of spaces to reproduce. So we want to keep the population in in balance, uh, and we have been trying all this different approach. I think the Bauberia bassiana is the one that is working better for us. I did the pheromone traps uh, the first year. Uh, some of them got in the traps, but I I kept watching a lot of magueyes and other cacti uh, getting infected with picudos. So I started spraying the Bauberia and it's getting better. I still find mm-hmm. picudos 
in uh, in the field, but not as many. And we don't have a lot of plants dying this year from it. So I think the the Bauberia is it's been working. So along with these efforts to protect and care for the vegetation, uh, the agaves, the cacti, all the the different plants in the area, um, I know that another aspect of the project is to um, grow uh, trees and other plants that are native to the area um, and and replant them around the area as well. So can you tell us um, how how that part of the project is is going? Yeah, sure. Um, we we started getting worried about the the climate. Uh, it gets so hot and so dry, and uh, we decided we we wanted to plant trees in the flat area. That is the one that is more exposed to the sun and the heat. Uh, we had some donations of plants. But I've been also collecting seeds, and on every hike I take on the, these mountains, I bring back seeds. Not only agave seeds, I, uh, when I found a tree that is seeding, I will bring seeds back and grow them inside the nursery. And then replant these trees in the field. We are making like small uh, like spots where we have local vegetation and trees in the flat area around the the agave field. Uh, this helps us to keep the, like the shadow makes it more fresh and keeps the humidity and the, the trees that have really deep roots help with this uh, bringing the water to the to the underneath water systems. They are just very small. <laughs> we just planted them. The older ones are two years old. They are not really big or really, they don't have huge deep roots, but they will at some point. We also planted some fruit trees and we are trying to keep the, the place populated with local species. We we also really take care of the nopales and the big cactus. Uh, we have these cactus commonly named organos or candelabros that they are so beautiful. They feed us with tunas every year. Right now they have beautiful mm. flowers and tunas the are the fruit are that they from. produce, right? Yeah, they produce these fruits that are tunas and they are delicious. When we are hiking or like planting agave, working, we find tunas and it is it is a blast. It's so good to have them around. <laughs> and also they are homes to the to the local species of birds, of the tlacuaches, the bats, like all the native fauna that lives there. Um, they live in the trees, in the cacti, and all the big vegetation is very important to keep them around. So we are trying to plant more of those. We want uh, to preserve the local species and to help them thrive in the area. Yeah, for, I mean, those pollinators are everything, right? Oh, absolutely. Without the pollinators, we wouldn't even have plants <laughs> we will all die yeah, yeah yeah I mean it's such a it's such a holistic approach you know and like you were saying even if even if you're not sure of like the specific role or have an answer to everything um that's okay because you you will you will research it you will live it you will figure it out maybe it'll be made made known to you you know and I think that that's um it's a monumental amount of work, Lore, is is what it comes down to, because everything that you've talked about requires like such diligence and such presence to the land hiking there. Like, you know, you, you, you must know that space so well, but also discover new things, you know, every time you go out. Um, and I think I, I also would just like to ask you, you know, like, do you have any mentors? Like, is there anybody that is advising you? Yeah, I have 
so much help. Uh, I I didn't knew anything about regenerative agriculture four years ago. Like uh, I knew that an organic approach was good for the agave, and I knew that we needed to do something uh, in order to prevent all of our biodiversity crashing if we keep eroding the lands to plant agave. But uh, I didn't know how to do it. I don't come from a family of farmers or mezcaleros. Uh, I am not even from Oaxaca. But I have met so many people that have taught me a lot. Uh, the first palenque I've ever visited was Real Mineros. And Graciela is, uh, inspired me so much. Not only that time, like every time I talk to her, she's amazing and she knows so much and she's really good with sharing all her knowledge. Uh, I also met Sosima, another maestra mezcalera that is amazing and she's a good friend of mine. I, uh, I've been visiting so many palenques and agave fields and asking lots of questions. I, I went to a little workshop for uh, semillero de maguey, like how to treat the, the seeds, how to plant them, how many of them will sprout. And it was a very practical course. Uh, I've also visited the vivero in Santa Catarina Minas. I have also had really, really long conversations with Eduardo Ángeles about agricultural things in, in his agave knowledge. Right now, there is a guy called Jose Rodriguez. He works with organic agriculture. Uh, he's our supplier of organic products. And he's also an advisor. Like every time something is looking weird, uh, I... I call him and I tell him, this is happening. And sometimes I send him pics or or tell him, like, you need to come with me and check out this. Last year, we have a fungi infection. It was so humid and, and the tiny agaves in the trays started getting infected with a fungi. So we needed to, to fix it because the fungi was killing them. Uh, he came, he looked at it and, and told me, of another fungi that will eat this fungi that was infecting my agaves. We spray the trays like for uh, every other day in the morning and we got rid of the evil fungi and we we <laughs> succeeded. So, so yeah, we, of course, mm -hmm. this project, uh, it have had a lot of help in terms of knowledge from so many people i uh, i am sorry i cannot even count them so many people have teach me a lot of things and i am really grateful and we'll let that statement be the the blanket thank you to everybody and i'm sure lore you know with everything that you're learning you know you you're able to offer advice and pay it forward right like it 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 that too is a cycle yeah um I wish uh, that in the future I can share the knowledge that I'm getting with anyone that is interested. And I also hope that I can get more people interested in planting agave in a sustainable way. Which is the perfect segue to talking about um, what you guys plan on doing um, with uh, inviting people over to the field um, to help you and to learn about the work that you're doing. And I believe this is going to be called Camp Buo. Yes. Um, Camp Buo was one of the projects uh, aligned with Copita Field that we were planning of bringing a lot of folks from the mezcal industry to work and, and to get some uh, education around the agriculture process that we need to do in order to have agaves to make mezcal. 
like we we don't only want people to visit the Palenque, we want them to come and and take a little hike, collect some seeds, know about the different kinds of agave and how they reproduce, plant the seeds in the nursery, transplant the baby agaves from trays to the soil, transplant some a little bit bigger agaves from the nursery to the mountains, and, and yeah, get, give them some knowledge and more more importantly give them curiosity for for the agricultural practices that could be uh, adopted and, and knowing that there is another way to plant agave not only in rows not only in a way that you transform our beautiful mountains into blue deserts we want to to have i don't know like in the future some kind of school that makes people um interested in in learning how to do this like in the area in the village i am trying to bring more people to work uh, and and i try to teach them that it is not very difficult and is not necessary to kill all the vegetation and the animals in order to have an agave plantation i think that there's more interest in this now um because you know as you were saying you're not the only one that's putting these um these types of systems and philosophies into practice? No, I am definitely not the only one, uh, not the first one. Uh, there are so many people doing it. There are so many people that already have a lot of knowledge about this and they have been doing this for generations and generations. Um, I hope more and more um, mezcal brands and maguey producers get uh, into it. And so with the work that you're doing in Copita field, um, with the Copita project, like what would you say that your, your hopes are for the future, um, of the work that you're doing there? Well, I, I don't have like any goals settled, uh, I think that the process of learning is is my drive. Uh, I hope to keep on doing it and learning every day and let the process tell me what should we do next. Um, I don't think life is about uh, getting somewhere. It is more about what we are doing right now and what we are doing every day to fulfill our necessities and to nurture others. That is very important for me. And I think um, Copita Project is is an amazing project. And I just hope that we can keep doing things the way that we are doing them right now, just being very respectful and caring for all life. Mm. I just wish we, yeah. we can have a project that is um, profitable at some point. Uh, we do want to produce agave for making mezcal, but that is not the, the main goal. Uh, I think maybe at some point we we will decide that we are not making mezcal with these agaves, but we are uh, letting them cure to have more seeds or I don't know, whatever, <laughs> whatever happens in the future. These agaves that I just planted are going to be mature in like 12 years. And yeah, I don't even know so, what it's life... It's so long term. <laughs> of course, it's so long term. I don't even know what life is going to have for us in 12 years 
I just hope we we are still interested in learning and in loving uh, the ecosystem that we are working in. Wow, that's such that's such a beautiful way to end this conversation. Um, you know, you're teaching us uh, uh, through explaining um, your journey in this project, and I can't thank you enough. So, um, with that, I I would just I'd like to thank you again, and um, I look forward to speaking with you about how it's going. You know, we'll we'll touch base again about it for sure. For sure, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. It's been it's been great to talk about this because uh, I've been doing it mostly uh, just just doing these things and this is the first time I, I talk about it like publicly. Uh, it's been educational for me too. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this conversation a lot and I hope we I know we will talk again really soon. Yeah, we've got some fun things planned. Um, so thanks so much, Lore. Salutita. Thank you. Salud. Hey Hey Agave is a production of Tuyo NYC. Brittany Prater is our editor. Your hosts are Gabrielle Velasquez Zazueta and me, Sabrina Lassard. Our music is by Milagro Verde. Find them on Instagram at Milagro underscore Verde BK. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Salutita. Salutita.